exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories, their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Daryl Carnley. So Daryl, did I say your name right? Because we were discussing how your grandfather said Daryl. He said Daryl. I'm Daryl. Yeah. I know. My I just had brother, to say my it. My other brother Daryl is Daryl. <laughs> right. It was just too cute. And I had to let the listeners hear it as well. But we got connected through um, our passion for doing charitable projects. Um, and um, you're, uh, is he your business partner? Or does he work with you? No, just it's just a good friend that that actually is a donor in our organization, and then we've just done a lot together around the world. Dennis Combs, right, it, right. So uh, Dennis actually flew in some of the the. We had about eight runs during the pandemic, COVID, when it, Native Americans were being really hit hard. But he actually flew in some water for us. Did you go with him on that too? Because I wasn't I there. Did. Okay. Because yeah, we were trying to meet you and you had, you guys were still in transit, but yeah, he, we, I was actually in Phoenix at the time and we brought up the water and we had, him and I had flown in mass to Navajo Nation sometime prior to that. And he was wanting to do something else. And then you and, and we have a mutual friend and it was talking about water. And we ended up driving in one of our mission vans, our My360 vans, into the nation, dropped off yeah. a ton of, of bottled water. And it, it blew our mind because here we are in the United States of America and people don't have good drinking water. And we deal with that in right. Africa all the time or Mexico. But the United States? You know, I know. Was- it, it blows your mind. And then the sad thing is I was able to go to the reservation you were able to go to the reservation, but yep. my adopted sister, if she were to leave her Mesa, would face a thousand dollar fine per individual in the car. So not wow. only do we not have clean drinking water, we have what I would look at some kind of authoritarian dictatorship, something not allowing people to move freely and they don't have clean water access where they are they have to drive about an hour and a half and they buy bottled water at you know the walmart super center or whatever and you've got people with a history of diabetes in their culture which is you know the fault of being not used to processed foods and shoved onto reservations to eat early processed foods um only drinking about eight ounces of water a day and it just kills me and so we we were able to get connected with um, a company that actually builds water bottles that filter out harmful chemicals. So now they can use the water that is on the Mesa using those water bottles. But at the time we were just like, people are literally going to starve to death, not be able to get food. And though we weren't able to being that far away, maybe fix the food situation, we could at least make sure they weren't dehydrated to the point. Yeah. It just kills me. It just kills me. 
I was blown away. I, I and, and thank goodness for what you guys were doing to bring an awareness to it because we had done mass earlier on when when COVID was really you know was going on. But, but then Dennis called me about the water situation, and I knew. I mean, I knew sometimes we have issues and things, but not to the extent of of being so close to Flagstaff. I mean, here you've got they're like, oh my goodness, you know, these people are. And then, yeah. like you say, they couldn't leave. We were able to go in, and and that and, that was probably the first time in my life that I have felt, um, you know, what we would now term as white privilege. Yeah. Because yeah. the policeman just waved at me. Yeah. And no, I, I was just here. like, I mean, we, we pulled into a couple different places, stopped and we, we had no issues. We drove right in. We found the little town, the little city met with the, the couple yeah. that you had, had us meet with and, and download, you know, loaded the water off and, and kept our distance. And we were careful because we were right in the height of COVID. So right. we didn't want to cause any more issues. But yeah, I was. Well, I Native was, American population, the Navajos specifically have a 450% more likelihood to not just catch COVID, but what, you know, they would term as ill effects to COVID. Exactly. And again, that goes back to, you know, um, the diabetes that is rampant in their culture, you know, yeah. um, that is a risk factor and maybe there's some genetic markers as well. I haven't checked out the local research, but I just, um, my, I had this adopted sister who's educated, who works, who, you know, is loves her community. And I said, it just kills me. Cause I had done a rotary club I'd help with a Rotary Club thing to take things down to, you know, the mythical reservation. I don't even know which reservation it was going to. Yeah. But I said to my sister, who's a teacher on the res, I said, it just kills me to think that some of your neighbors don't have running water. And she's like, well, I don't have running water. Oh, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, the, the level of here's somebody that has been in my life since yeah. I was, you know, probably 10 years old who I wow. call this and she doesn't have, you know, running water to go drink. And I mean, I have, I drink 140 ounces a day of yeah. water. Yeah. And if I don't drink, if I drink under 70 ounces a day, I get a headache. Yeah. And we don't even have to go into the digestive stuff. We we totally take it for granted, you know, being yeah. and traveling, I, of course, from Alaska, most all my life, and we have the same issues there. And it was some years ago that uh, it was brought to my, um, we had still had families in the villages that didn't have running water. I'm thinking, how is this, you know, and I well, know they've worked really hard at, at getting water, you know, and sewage and things. And, and, and it's the United States, you'd think for sure, we have figured all this out, but it, it's again, not necessary. It was done on purpose. Um, uh, from what I've been able to find out um, that the United States government, you know, when they moved all the Native American people by force, let's be really clear, this was sure, sure. a conquering of these people, um, you know, internment camps on mass, right? Yeah. Moved these people to the reservations. They didn't want them to hunt because they didn't want uprisings. So they took yeah. away their weapons. And they brought in food. Yeah. They're like, stay here. I'm taking your culture as much as I can away. They even were taking their children and moving them to residential schools. But they did not allow infrastructure development on the reservation because they realized pretty quickly after they moved everyone there that they were creating an entitlement program. And they didn't want the Native Americans to be fighting them. But they yeah. also didn't want to be feeding them anymore, even though that's that was kind of the deal. 
you know, yeah. take away your ability to make food, go hunt, um, move you to lands you're not familiar with uh, how to farm. And, you know, just, it's just this big, and so they said no, inf, no investment into, you know, so no infrastructure, no school buildings, no, um, you know, plumbing, any of that on reservations so that it would make it so unpleasant that people would leave yeah. and then integrate into American society. And so that, I remember when I was a kid being like, must be nice to be on the reservation, have a fancy new school. No, that was their first school. Yeah. The first yeah. school they had, but it's interesting how you can look at it from one perspective and be like, wow, yeah. look at the fancy school they have. And it's literally the first school. So yeah, my school yeah. was more run down because it had been built in the fifties, Yeah, <laughs> but they didn't have a school. Yeah. A lot, a lot of injustice for sure. You know, and I think that's, that, that's the beauty of being able to go on and see things and then have a voice such as yours to, to, you know, just share it and people, you know, and now there has been enough integration into society. I pray those people come back and help with, cause there's people who don't want to leave They're, You know, I mean, I know in Alaska, there's people in villages and I have a native sister who we adopted back in the, in the, the early seventies and from East Alaska and, and, you know, even getting to know her family, there is those who didn't, they didn't want to come to the, the village and oh. we do we do work in different villages in Alaska and there's some people that never they've never been out they don't want to go to Walmart you know well yeah my <laughs> sister left got an education and went back and helped her people but if I were asked today right now would I like to leave where I live and my my culture my religious yes. family my neighbors that have seen my children grow up no I wouldn't choose to leave yeah, no, I'm with you. I it's it's yeah. uh, I get it. You know, I mean, I lived in Alaska most of my life, and then of course transitioned out. And it, you, what you forget, you forget that when you move, you got to find a doctor, a dentist, a mechanic, a hairstylist. That was my biggest deal. That's why I'm wearing a hat. I mean, when you move from what you've known forever, you know, and it is interesting. Even though you sometimes, you know, sometimes maybe some people are running from their past or whatever, but still. You got to go find a doctor. I mean, my doctor in Alaska was the guy who delivered me. You know, I mean, he's known right. me. I popped into this world, you know, and then you leave and you got to find somebody. And somebody that not- knows your history and, exactly. and all of that. You have to create that. And though that can be a great opportunity for growth, um, it's hard to leave community. And um, especially when you go back more generations and then you factor yep. in racism that people would see yep. the color of your brown skin and be like, I'm not going to give you a job. Yeah. You know, well, I, I mean, I lived in Alaska where I'm sure there's racism, but I was I was raised in Southtown in Fairbanks and I went to college in Mississippi. So I went to Mississippi. I had no clue, honestly, what racism was that I would go. Yeah. I played basketball and I would go on Yazoo College and I'd be literally the only guy with this color skin. And I just walk on not thinking anything. And I'd be back in my college dorm later that night in Jackson. They're like, where'd you go? I said, oh, I went and played basketball. They go, what are you doing? You know, you can't do that. And I go, why can't I do that? You know, and it was so funny because I remember this one guy, he pulled me aside and he goes, you're not from the South, are you? And I said, no, I'm from Alaska. And I said, well, why do you say that? He goes, well, you don't have that Southern attitude or something. I don't know what it was, but I... I mean, I got to know what racism was. You see it, you know, but I just lived. But Alaska, um, I was actually engaged to a man of color when I lived in Alaska and nobody looked twice at us. 
No, it's, it you know, it it's, we, we, in Sunday school, we had always sing that song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, you know, red and yellow, black and white. We just sing it as colors and having fun, but it, we never thought anything of it. I mean, I had natives and, you know, my dad hired his church, hired one of the first, well, in fact, in Alaska, I think it was one of the first black associate pastors and, and dad never thought anything of it, but then you, you know, you get scorned or something. I, I mean, I went to private school on the East coast and I was in trouble because I stayed the night at a black person's house and I, I couldn't understand this. So I called my dad. I said, dad, I'm in trouble because I stayed at Larry Webb's house. And my dad called the, the president of the school. And, and I always joke, I said, after my dad got finished with that guy, I could stay with an alien if I wanted to. He, I mean, I don't know what dad said to the to president of the school, but I could stay with Probably yellow people. he was stuck in the 1940s. <laughs> oh man, it was crazy. I never knew that, you know, I never thought of it that way. And yeah. even to this day, we just, you know, we just don't, I mean, I'm in Africa all the time and, and, and I just don't. Well, I, I don't, think- for your perspective, because I know a little bit about you, um, that, you know, when God is real to you, you see the different color of skin as something beautiful. And oh, yeah. you know, God made this mountain this way. And he made these animals, you know, um, he just made so much beauty. Why wouldn't he make humans beautiful too? Oh. And yeah. if it's we like all looked day. exactly the same, the artist oh. would have showed he had a boarding palette. Exactly. It, it's it's the mosaic of life, you know, and I think yeah. that's the truth. It's like living in Alaska, you get the northern lights and wow, in the evening, all those colors. It's like this is why we have such an extravagant God who loves creativity. And, and, exactly. I lived yeah. in Alaska for a time and yeah. I love the culture of um, it was really interesting because like in general American culture, if somebody's sick, you know, it's nice to take them dinner. And you might take them flowers, but you're definitely going to be like, Hey, praying for you. Right. Or, you know, sending you good love or whatever, love or whatever in Alaskan culture, it is like required that you take them food. It's not a suggestion. Yeah. You are taking them something. Exactly. What is happening. And from what I was told, it comes from the, uh, you know, the culture of your community and how harsh the winters are of kind of the potlatch you know, the yep. native, the native, uh, Clinkett Indian, um, tradition of what you, when you have extra, you share. And if someone has less, you share. Exactly. You know, and is, as a community, you rise together. You do. And it's, it's like, the, you know, up there in the winter, someone is broke down. You stop, you, you don't, yeah. you don't, you know, if I don't care what color they are, or what they look, you pull over because they could die. I mean, honestly, right. you, you yeah. earn that. It's not, it would be considered, I think it's kind of funny how people get upset about, oh, these little niceties, you know, and it's like, oh, but when you live in a place where nature is so undeniably in control, those little niceties become that you are a human being and you help an animal, not all animals, but, but a lot of animals, there's a wounded one. They're like too bad. Sorry. Yeah. And they leave. But something that separates us from the animals is we can choose to be more. But I, I, one of the things I always used to say about Alaska is Alaska. I lived in Alaska, as I mentioned, that Alaska is what God created after he practiced everywhere else. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Where where did you live in Alaska? I know you told me. Yeah, I lived in Anchorage. And um, so I was, you know, pretty 
pretty, um, I wasn't like backwoods or anything like that, but I had gotten a job where I would have been, but, um, they didn't honor my contract because okay. I was a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they're like, and another job I got, they're like, you can't pee over the side of the boat. You're not going to be able to be here. And I was exactly. like, that's a biological fact. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you could, but you know, <laughs> I would really hope that the person helping me hold on wouldn't let go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're like, we don't have girl bathrooms here. So I'm like, you know, the only way that you relieved yourself on that boat evidently was when it came in at night, you had to poo, but if you need to pee during the day, you did it off the side of the boat. So exactly. yeah, I, I did my time out fishing and I, yeah, you're right. I would not be comfortable for women in certain cases because there isn't, it's not designed for that. You know, it's, we always want equality, but at the same time, there is, we all are equal in certain ways, but there is certain things that it's just the way it is, you know? Well, my, my view on that, Daryl, is I get to create life in my exactly. body. And and so we are not equal. No, I get to create life. Yes. And um, I, it is my, and you know, and and men maybe have issues with that in the past and stuff, but you know, men that are godly men understand the divine role of protecting and, and nurturing, nurturing in the way that they were made by bringing home food. Because when you have a baby, you can't go kill the deer yourself. No. No. And it's, you know, the thing is, you think about what the women are the, to me, the most beautiful creation God ever had and, and has done. And yet there's sometimes the most abused entity as well because of life. That vulnerability um, after vulnerability we have a child there. is yeah. there's a and reason that animals can run minutes yeah. after giving birth is because they have to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> you know? it's a, I mean, I'm, I'm the baby of five sisters. So I, I, definitely have know a thing or two a little bit about gals you know when you're the baby and you have five sisters above you and a very strong mom uh, you understand the importance and and it's it's a really now it's amazing I, I love I love the fact that when women know their I mean, we all know our places and there there are places it's just you know I used to joke with my sister so I say hey write your name in the snow you know <laughs> if you know what I mean by that <laughs> I know what you mean I have brothers <laughs> Where you had five sisters, I had three brothers and was a trucker's daughter. Oh, so man. I, spent, I, um, I, I basically thought I was a boy. And the biggest insult in our family culture was, don't be a girl. Exactly. Oh, and man. I'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm clearing, carrying, carrying my side of the axle. And the worst thing you could say to me was, don't be a girl. And so I was determined to lift and work as hard as my brothers. But yeah. come to find out. A woman's body is not designed to lift like that. And I have some back issues from lifting when I was so young, such extreme weight. We're not as, we're not as tough as you guys. I, my wife had three babies and I'm going to tell you what, there would not be many people in the world if men were bearing babies because I would have done one and that was it. I'd been one and done. Women's pain tolerance is higher, but your men have a higher strength tolerance. So you can lift more, you can, you know, run faster. Your muscle tone is going to be more. And, um, but our pain tolerance is higher expressly for that ability to not only carry children, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I didn't, you know, have to raise my children in, um, you know, primitive housing. Right. But the first time I was sick, and I had a little kid 
I realized that that did not alter the flow of my day at all. No, not at all. Where prior used to be, yeah, pull out some, yeah. Oh yeah, my husband one time, who I love and adore, God has blessed me with, he rang a bell one time while he was sick. (laughs) And that is the first time that I think he ever saw me as a truly angry person because I was pregnant with a bad hip. And I walked in and I looked at him with the look of death, grabbed that bell and then flung it at his chest. And he was like, ow. And I was like, giving him this look and he never, he's never rung a bell at me again. I mean, they, they say a man cold is the closest thing to pregnancy pain in a woman, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no. And, but I, I never want to, I mean, I delivered naturally both my children. Oh, wow. And, well, yeah. two of my three children, the third one was very medical. She had a heart condition. So it was a C-section yeah. and everything. But my second one was two and a half days of labor. Oh, Lord. And I will tell you for my son's pregnancy that was 20, I mean, delivery that was 22 hours where I could feel my son pushing mm. as he was being born and my husband rubbing my back. I was like, this is a family. Yeah. And so even though there was pain involved in it, oh, yeah. that sensation of feeling those little feet pushing up against my lungs as I'm trying to get air yeah. was a divine moment. And then after two and a half days of obviously not medically ideal, and I probably could have died in a different time, that... All I could say when my daughter was placed in my arm was, thank you, God. Thank you, God, because she was so perfect. And even if yeah. she wasn't perfect, she's still she perfect. was to me. Yeah, that's you know? so amazing. Yeah, the so. birth of the life is my, my eldest son and his wife are having a child in March. And so we'll be our first time to be grandparents. And so we're very exciting. Excited. And, and it's funny, though, they have all their thoughts of how it's all going to be. And I'm like, OK, yeah, yeah. Think, okay. Yeah, wait, yeah. wait until it happens. Yeah. You know, but yeah. but uh, the these children are here to teach us, man, and to oh, teach buddy. us of, of our pride, to yeah. teach us of uh our, our, our amazing, our ability to be small and powerful all at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're amazing. I, I, there was a saying the other day that it's, it's talking about having access to God, but it was in, in the reference of, you know, a two-year-old can wake a king up at 3 a.m. for water. He's the only one who can get away with it. It's, and that's our access to God, you know, in the sense mm-hmm. of having access yeah. to him. And so many people put a limit on who God is. And yet he's, you know, come as a child, he says, you know, and it's yeah. crazy what we learn from our kids. It's amazing. I have three wonderful sons and I love what they've taught me. In fact, my middle son, he's 26. He just was brought on our corporate board for my 360 uh, through the decision of other people. And, you know, not to be nepotist, but it is fun to be nepotist if it's in the right yeah, way. I'm like, I don't uh, really have a problem with people hiring their kids if their kids are competent. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. He's been involved from the beginning. And, and it was cool. I, at the board meeting where he was elected, I gave him a rhino. I just got back from Africa. So I had this little, you know, stuffed rhino. And I said, hey, working with your father, you're going to need rhino skin, you know. <laughs> that was his board gift. <laughs> so, but great kids. But it's amazing what you learn from them. I mean, they just, I mean, we know a lot, but they, they're seeing things and they hear things and they've had to put up with us for all of our parenting. And I don't know about you, but I, 
I didn't really, I mean, I kind of knew how to parent. I had good parents, but man, they teach you a lot. You know, it's just yeah. like. Well, I think something that's so amazing about um, parenting and this children's dynamic, I joke that, the, you know, that we have this image that God's like, oh, who's going to be the spouse for them that's going to be the easiest? Who's yeah, going yeah. to be the child that's going to be the easiest? And this is your view of marriage. And then you get married and you realize somebody you thought was perfect is like yeah. rubbing up against your weakness in a way that you're like, oh, so I need to work on my patience. Oh, I need to work yeah. on my humility. Right. And yep. then your child is like, <laughs> I'm going to see how good you two have been working on your relationship. Exactly. And it's like thrown in the middle and they come with their own personalities. And this is why when people tell me my kids are amazing, which I do think they are. And though yes. I will take credit for being an intentional parent, there was no way that I was a perfect parent. No, but my kids get credit for how they turned out because they listen. Yeah. They only listen to the wisdom that I put down and my husband put down, but that God put down. So how we individually turn out, we are every parent that's ever lived except one has, you know, one set, you know, God and, you know, his and wife Mary. is sacred, yeah. right? Um, is, is um, they were great parents. The rest yeah. of us didn't do it. And we even rebel against God. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But God put, I... You know, people are talking a lot about if the family unit's valuable, if marriage is valuable. And I'm like, wait a minute, back her up. Yeah. To me, this is proof that there is a God. Yeah. Because this culture that developed in what we now call Mongolia, and then another culture in Peru, they don't even speak the same language. Yeah. And then, you know, you just magnify that to every they culture. They haven't around. even seen each other because of certain places. They don't even know each other exists. They don't know. Yeah, like, know. you know, a hundred, 200 years ago, they don't even know. And these cultures with all their different languages and foods and ways of being every single one of those cultures have what we would describe as a mother and a father and children. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that is proof that God ordained it, decided yep. it, created it, it in order to be the lab for we humans to become our best yeah. because there's nothing as humbling as when you're holding your child at three in the morning. Yeah. And you feel yourself being irritated by that and then going, why am I irritated an infant for being hungry? Yeah. Huh. And you start deconstructing where your irritation comes from and yeah. your instincts and your hormones are to take care of that child. You get the opportunity to be better. Yeah. And that well, is it, it, you definitely have a picture of, of who God is. And, and like we said in marriage, I mean, it's, I'll be married 35 years this year, this June. Congratulations. Celebrating when we're in Africa, but it's not an easy deal. I mean, I, there's, this will sound, I don't wish marriage on people that have the idea of, oh, marriage. No, it's, marriage is a tough deal, but it's a wonderful thing. You, because what I figured out is I, you know, I've tried to change her forever. I know, no, I'm not here to complete her or change her. I need, it's me. God works on me. God works on her and then works on us. And then in that you develop this incredible bond and it's, yes, we've had our issues and, and we, you know, we will, we, we've joked at marriage conferences. We've spoken at marriage conferences and said, you know, we've never talked divorce, but we have talked murder. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> like yeah, my yeah. moment with the bell with my husband. Exactly. Yeah. He knew. Don't ever ring that again. I'm like, know. I am loyal to you. 
yes, yes. But, yeah. uh, well, it's awesome to be on here, Lita. I really appreciate what you're doing, what you're up to. I love the Facebook page that we're on about doing good things. You know, and, and the world yeah. needs to see more good things going on. And we need people to be involved. And with just people. a little plug, uh, Ripples, Ripples of Change, a collaboration for good. Yeah. I started that Facebook group, um, one, to kind of pool together the people that have been supportive of my charitable efforts but also because I recognized a need for us to have a group that's just focused on service. And it doesn't have to be about my charity. It doesn't have to be about your charity, just serve each other, just be kind. And there's so much gunk out there, but what we choose to surround ourselves and feed ourselves, I wanted to give people a resource as kind of a a give back. Exactly. Which I would love it to keep growing and, have you know thousands i mean we have a couple thousand people on there but it would be amazing to have 20 or thirty thousand of yeah. community of people that um you know we could be doing more charity together exactly and i think that's yeah. important even if it's just that. taking your you know grocery cart back you yeah. know so somebody yeah. doesn't have to go out in the cold for it but if you have our, little teeny kids our, you have my permission take someone else's back with them and they're emptying and say, Hey, I'll take that back for you. But I I I just wanted to say, if you have little kids and it's a cold day, you leave your cart right there. You leave it right by the door. I almost lost my son. I put my daughter in, in a rainstorm and I turned and my son had taken off in a rainstorm. You know what I mean? So it's like when you've got two kids or even a little kid in the cold, you just leave your cart wherever yeah, Daryl will take it sick. back. We will, take it, will back. take it back for you. I will find it and get it back to the the, the holder for yeah. you. <laughs> Better than me chasing your kid through the storm, you know. Like, oh, I I was screaming like a panicked banshee. Oh man, to find I him because yeah. it was raining in a parking lot. Yeah, and people go too fast in parking lots. We've all done it. Uh, but me less so after that experience. And he had um, kind of crawled kind of where he wasn't going to be in the rain. Wow. You know? So yeah, he just, cause he was a little monkey. He was two and a half and he could crawl out of those carts and he was showing me. And just that time that I snapped the carrier in, you know, one Fast. minute, or I'm mean, not even a minute, 30 seconds. Uh, he was gone and out. Oh, that oh, kid. Man. Whew, that's where that those white hairs right there. That's where that came yeah, from. See that that gray. Yeah, that's from pastoring twenty five years. <laughs> okay, so we I love 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 our conversation because uh, you know we're touching on a lot of the principles that I know you're passionate about, um, and we've kind of talked about your three hundred and sixty project. But let's tell the audience what it's about. Well, my three hundred and sixty. Uh, so I, I was a, a pastor of a, of a church for twenty five years. I'm fourth generation doing this. My parents were missionaries to Alaska, um, and I've always had this heart. In fact, I just hit a little over hundred countries and travel. Been doing missions since I was a kid. But I was coming to the conclusion of being what we call a senior pastor, in in the sense of my mind. I knew, I mean, the church is doing great. It was you know a few thousand people, a lot of things going on. But I knew I needed to make a change. And long story short, uh, I was able to do that. As a scripture in Numbers chapter 8, verse 24 through 26, it says the priest starts at 25 and he retires at 50 and becomes a mentor. So what it says, I took it for granted. Whether people see it that way, I took it that way. Uh-huh. And so 
got involved with shoes and and there's 300 million kids because we were looking to do missions we've now, always you didn't say that water. word clear enough shoes i want shoes. people it sounded like shoots and i didn't want people yeah, to shoes. not hear shoes. where you were going shoes yeah shoes and, and uh 300 million kids in the world don't have shoes 11 million kids die before their fifth birthday and many times it's without shoes because they'll get a, a, a foot-borne disease called jiggers or there's different things that happen and you know the developing world there is no they have to walk to get their water sometimes miles and if their feet are injured it's hard for them to do that and it's the children who gather the water and the women um, so we started looking at how could we not just go print a pair of shoes in China, but could we make a pair? And the Lord connected me to a very significant person in, in Nike. Um, and it was a high up manager that was a friend. And he connected me to a retired uh, Nike in, uh, in innovator. His name was Mike Freeton, wonderful guy. Mike's built many shoes for them. And he helped me develop a shoe. And it's a, it basically, it, this is what it looks like when it starts. It's a flat shoe. And so he's actually it, holding kind of what look like if you flatten the shoe out and then the pieces yeah. come up kind of like it fingers. all goes together. But what we wanted to do, we wanted to hire people in villages in Africa or wherever that we could teach them how to make shoes and they didn't have to have technical machinery. So building a shoe, you have to have all this lasses and machinery. So we created something that we could build in. Like literally when we were developing this, Lita, we were in our minds in a little village called Mazalita, Uganda, without power, with all of the, you know, nothing. And a little machine that you use your feet. So we developed it to be able to build it in the most rural area in the world. And Which I even, love this because... Um, you know, I, I'm wearing a pair of $160 Hoka's right now Oh yeah, that yeah. are designed for running and they will never run, you know? Yeah. Um, and these shoes would probably last me because I don't run, <laughs> yeah. you know, could last, last me five, five years. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so your shoe may not last as long as five years, but because no. they are able to make it there, they can do the maintenance where yeah. if I go and give them my hocus in five years or three years because they might run right that shoe yeah. is ruined it is destroyed and i'm gonna have to come back to give them that shoe yeah so and it's the analogy is, of give yeah. uh you know give somebody um a fish or a fishing pole so even yeah. though we may look at these shoes and go well my shoe's nicer exactly it's better than no shoe and more importantly you gave them a fishing pole. Yeah, that, and that's the goal is they have jaws. We source in country. In fact, there's a shoe right up here on the shelf. That is from Uganda, our new build center. We launched there in 2021. And the whole shoe, 99% of it's sourced in Uganda. So the sole material, uh, the end, so everything is sourced in country. The only thing we, we import glue because we, we use what they call ethical glue. When you mm -hmm. smoke, every shoe you have is made with toxic glue. We have Nike actually created a glue years ago that's not toxic. It's almost like an Elmer's glue, but it's stronger. No taste, it's biodegradable. So we had to use it because when we started this organization, we were in we were in Phoenix working with the PTSD program out of Phoenix Dream Center. So a lot of the people building the shoes were ex addicts, and so you can't have an ex addict in the glue room. You know that ever <laughs> I'll, I'll do the glue room. <laughs> We're seeing uh, unicorns in that room. So right, we, right. we had to find something. And so we went, we were in Guadalajara, Mexico. We found a glue there that we could import from Italy, actually. 
And so the, the shoe is very unique looking. I mean, when it's finished, it's kind of a, it's actually based on the Native American moccasin. Yeah, moccasin. it actually, it actually kind of reminds me of the shoe you might see in the Smithsonian that they yep. found. It, it is truly that. And when, when yeah. Mike was drawing it up and we come up with it, the shoe will actually expand out of the toe for a child, out of the back. And then the, this will kind of float around because if like in Nicaragua or Haiti, there's two sizes of feet in the width. You know, we're in right. 16 countries now, and it's honestly different with all the different countries of the size of feet. So this will actually kind of expand and grow around their foot. It's a repairable shoe, simple to make. So people, they and something the else and really fun that I just was told yesterday. So I have this lady that came highly recommended to me um, that does a form of muscle helping um, I'm not going to explain it well, but anyway, she's like an yeah. expert on how your muscles and your ligaments. And after have, I just had foot surgery and, you know, I'm walking now, but I, I'm in physical therapy to get all these tendons and bones working together again. And she is like, okay, you have bunions all over your feet. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I found that out, you know, but she's like telling me different things that I can do to help. You know, I won't be able to take back time of abusing my feet but yeah. I can help it not get worse. And one of the things that she told me is that my $160 pair of Hoka's, which I'm a little upset about, um, that she told me this, that it's not as good for my feet alignment yeah. to be stepping on something that's so comfortable exactly. that I actually need to have a little bit more contact with what my, how my body is stepping or my arches are going to fully yeah. fall. And so your shoe is what she is describing as more yeah an ergonomical shoe to the health of your arch, ankles, knee, Everything. pelvis, back. Well, and, and God created us actually to walk barefoot. I mean, that's the healthiest you can be. But yet what happens is, is through pestilence and the fall of man. Well, Earth and all the poisons um, in it, if you're not the, careful. The things we're putting on the roads. Exactly. So yeah. you, you then need some sort of a shoe, but you're absolutely correct. When Mike designed the shoe, he says, Daryl, he said, basically kids are not to have arches in their feet. They're, they're, they're to start out with a flat foot. And then you, you develop that as you go. It's like a glove that you put on, you know, and, and that's the truth. Probably your healthiest shoe you could wear is like a Birkenstock, you know, that has more of the cork that would finally form to the ear foot, right. you know? Right. Right. Well, and, and being able to splay my toes out. So now I'm sleeping with these little, um, things that spread my toes out and she gave oh, me a little yeah. exercise to literally pull my my big oh, toes yeah. apart so i'm like i've got to learn about some foot health here because i did not love foot surgery as much as i acted like i did i've had it twice in my life and it's no fun i mean it's your feet are, are very delicate and it's you know as, as as we said we found there was a need we we and now working through, there's a lot of great shoe organizations that we work with, but our uniqueness is we wanted to build the shoe. It's not the most prettiest shoe in the world, um, but it's- But it you're is giving them the capacity to take care of that shoe. Yeah, they which, can, they design the colors. I mean, you know, it's really fun to see. We have 19 artisans now working for us in Mexico and Uganda. We're expanding to Zambia this year to build shoes by the end of the year. But our goal is, is to put millions of shoes on kids and it takes people, you know, to help yeah. with that. But at the same time, uh, it is fun to watch them build the shoe. And then here's the coolest thing about our organization. We call ourselves, we're a humanitarian shoe organization. But the coolest thing, Lita, is that we wash the children's feet. And it's oh, such I a love sacred, this part. I remember you telling me this. I love ceremony. It. 
I call it a holy pedicure. But, but the thing about it is, in John 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and he said something in there. He said, this is an eternal truth. And, he t- and Peter argued with him. Remember the story. Peter says, no, you're not washing my feet. But, but he said, Peter, you're not going to understand what I'm doing now, but later on you will. And later on in the scripture, Peter began to understand serving and, and how to break down racism. And the reason Jesus washed their feet was just the same the reason the prodigal father washed the prodigal's feet. It re allows them to become the son. I mean, he never was not the prodigal, was never not the son. It's just he had lost his shoes, and now his father washes his feet, places shoes, and that really shows sonship or hope. And Jesus right. and was doing to his disciples. society, been, as many societies yeah. are so, you know, there's the people at the bottom and there's the people at the top. And yeah. so when the leader gets down on their knees, Massive. that is what Christ is showing is Christ-like leadership is the leader serves, not the leader serves. Them. Exactly. And so that was a picture. So when we were developing this, that was the one thing, because I come from a store, a background in our religion that they used to wash feet. And I would tell you, Lita, I hated it. I did not like, I always got the most oldest snaggly tooth, long brown toenail guy. You know, I'm a kid. I'm like, oh God, you know, why am I doing this? Every year we had this foot washing ceremony and I never could understand it till I got older. And I think I started understanding it when we had children and you're giving them bath and you're did the little piggy on the feet. You realize that this foot that's in your hand is the foot that's going to take them around the world. It's the Bible says the foot, you know, the feet are shod with the preparation, the gospel of peace. And you start enjoying washing feet, you know, and I think it's the same thing and I've had all types of people go with me around the world, probably now a couple of thousand people. And I've had atheists. I've had all types. I mean, you just name them. And I've watched them begin to wash feet. And I've seen their whole spirit change because it's a sacred moment that you're having with someone that they don't even realize. In fact, these kids, we were in Haiti some time ago. We were washing these kids' feet, the poorest of the poor. I mean, I've never seen poor like that and yet we're washing their feet and, and they're looking at us first and then they're smiling and then you're tickling but there's some kind of a connection there and you hope that you know I always wonder when they get home that night and wherever they're sleeping I guarantee it's not a posturpedic bed or a sleep number bed it's on a floor somewhere but you hope that they're looking at their feet and it's something good that's happened because I, I was a young kid who went through an abuse and I'm going to tell you I re- I'll never forget that night and you wonder what just happened to you. And it's not a good thing. And you know, children are abused all over the world. It's a horrific time that we live in that's happening. I pray that we can, when we touch a child's feet, it resets something in them that there is good in the world. Well, and, and you hope that. You know, you brought this up about this horror that happened to you. And I appreciate your, your vulnerability in that, you know, and hurt people, hurt people. And they've proven that a lot of those that choose to perpetrate these things upon children are also perpetrated on. Yes. And throughout all of history, it has been women and children first that we have protected. Yeah. And now we are throwing women and children under the front of the beast. Yeah. Right. And it's just, it's so, it's so interesting to me because that is, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, men were designed to be protective. And yeah. there's that quote, oh, oh, who said it? Something about, you know, people can sleep easy in their, easy in their beds at night, knowing that there are men capable of doing danger. Yeah. 
you know, and it's referring to like a soldier being willing to go and do that, you know, and when, you know, they're talking about, we want equal rights. One of the first thing that went through my mind was I don't want to be on the front line of battle. Yeah. Yeah. And though I am a very strong woman, stronger than most women at five, nine hundred and seventy five pounds. When I graduated from high school, a pure muscle and I could bench press one hundred and sixty five pounds at 15. Very strong woman. I do not have the hip structure to take my brother and throw him over my shoulders because my hips give go down instead of the hip, the leg supporting on the bottom of the pelvis designed for that extra weight. So if I'm on a battlefield, cause I'd learned this, I would try to, I, you know, my brothers would lift each other. And so I tried to do the same thing and I could feel it pulling and hurting to carry my equal weight, let alone more than my weight. Exactly. And now that I've learned more, um, you know, and have a degenerative hip, you know, which was from yeah. seven miscarriages, not my childhood, but um, it's like, there are biological differences that seem to be confusing now. And yeah. though I am a strong woman, this is not confusing. I cannot be on the front line and carry my fellow soldier over my back with the same consistency that he could, he or she could trust that. Yeah. Yeah. We, they, men were designed to protect and it doesn't mean I'm not strong. No. It just means that there's biological differences of how I was made. And we know as readers of the Bible that God made them male and female. And both are divine. Both are children of God. Both have an amazing purpose. And individually, we each get to figure out what that purpose is. But to erase women is throwing children. And no. we are no longer protecting kids. And I'm going to. I'm getting a little hot under the collar here, but you know, now we are saying that children should have those sexual encounters at a very young age so they can be sex positive. And I was like, that is evil. No, but being one who did, that is not true. It's the worst. It's the worst. I I too was molested from two and a half to 14. So I am right here with you, Carol. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things we're, you know, is I just pray that men will be godly and step up and be because having sisters and, you know, and I don't want to get into the abortion conversation at this ultimately, but I, in this sense, I've there, always there's separate said, issues. Yeah. You know, I've always said, Hey, where's the man? I mean, the, the gal got pregnant by somebody. And it's always like, we're talking about the woman. It's like men, I have sons. And I said, sons, you've got to manage, you have something that you've been given. It's a seed. And that seed is to be managed. And there's a day that you'll plant that seed. But until then, you know, and it's hard for them. I mean, we, we live in this age of, of abuse. And, and it's yeah. when, men, when men are being in their place and women are being in their place and their places are so incredibly joined together, the world thrives. It thrives. Right. And we and need because when families thrive, societies yeah. thrive. And. Well, you know, the abortion issue has been made into a side effect issue where the real question is, is that we cannot be male or female can be sexually free and not have consequences. Exactly. So we're, we're debating over the consequence of lack of self-control. Exactly. If I choose to drive my car at 95 miles an hour on residential roads, I'm going to hit someone. And I can't be like, well, I didn't want to hit someone. Yeah. Which is why we have a speed limit. It's like, you know, it, it's right. the, 
we are we live in a world that you have to have rules. It's the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's not the suggestions. It's the Ten Commandments. And I've traveled the world. I have been in the Mideast. I've been in some crazy places. And one thing I know, whomever I'm setting with, I believe that on every heart is the Ten Commandments. They're written. They're, they're, they're in every person's hearts, whether they believe it or not. And I can speak to my Muslim friends and we can find commonality on Ten well, Commandments. Well, the Muslim friends have a lot of belief in the Ten Commandments as well. Oh, absolutely. Muhammad, I mean, um, you know, taught do. that. You know. The Jewish culture, all religions have taught the same tenets of what we call the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. And we are trying to escape them. And it's as silly as trying to escape the law of gravity. Exactly. And it's we cannot escape certain actions and behaviors and think that there will be no consequences, not just to our eternal soul, but to our physicality and our emotional well-being. And they're like, why is suicide idolization on the rise? Why is suicide successes on the rise? Because we have taken God out of the equation yeah. and our society is paying a price. Well, and I think the, the, it goes back to even talking about, you know, ripples of, of effect that you have, it's graciousness that we, we have, and we can have incredible conversations with people that many times don't agree with us or whatever, when we come at it with a gracious tone and we're serving, it's powerful right. to see what happens when you go into places and you serve, but we can't, this authoritarian religious nature sometimes that come out of people and we're trying to dominate and Right. Uh, I, you know, I so agree. I mean, Christ, Jesus you know. did not do that. Exactly. You know, you know I mean, and it's like he didn't do that. You know, he didn't I've, do I've that. And religion church. has gone sideways in a home or when it's dictated. You know, the you know the Crusades are a good example of that didn't yeah. work. But we're living in a time now of godless dictation. Yeah. And those of us who've been paying attention to history can go. Um, this isn't this isn't good. Yeah. And going back to what we were saying. Children, when a society does not protect its children, and 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 never in history has it They've been lost sight of their so future. replete. When you don't protect children, you lose sight of your future. You have no clue, and you're mm -hmm. living for today, and it's not the way we're to live. Yes, let tomorrow worry for itself, and all of those things. But but when you're living in in your Christ nature today. And that's the power of it. When people can understand the power. Of I like it. that. The Christ nature. I like it, how you phrase you know, that. I was sitting the other day with someone and we were discussing something and it was prevalent that they weren't at, at all adhering to any, you know, any sort of Christian or faith way. But I said, here's the thing, you know, the, biology says we're called human beings. And it said, unfortunately, most people are human doings. They're just doing, but when you can learn to be, be a human being, be, and, and one of my favorite Beatles songs is Let It Be, yeah. you know, uh, by Paul McCartney. And, and it says the mother Mary came to me. Well, what's interesting about that song, that was his mother came to him in a dream and she had died of cancer. And, and he was telling the story. It was such a powerful story because, you know, I, I was kind of thinking maybe it was a religious thing or something. No, he had he was in his height of, of success with the Beatles and he's struggling with anxiety. He has a dream and his mother comes to him and says, Paul, just let it be. And that's how he wrote the song. It's a powerful story, but it's the same thing with us. It's just let it be. And I, I can't fight all of the opinions out there. But what I can do, what you can do, what people can do that are listening to this is in your world, make a difference and then see what happens. It's the real. Absolutely. 
yeah and be, being the ripple of good collaboration <laughs> for change that it all starts within ourselves but i do i just want to add to that that i know that god comes even to the atheist oh, yeah. to everyone in the way that we need to and some people call yeah. that energy some people yeah. call it the universe i call right. it god because i think it's rude to not call people by their name yeah. you know that we have to address what we know to be truth yeah but yeah, the truth is in many facets and i've looked in people's eyes that i don't you know um you know that you wouldn't say oh believe like i do and i can see that light and that goodness radiating from them because they're yeah. doing the best that they have with what they have. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's so true. Well, thanks for having me on here. I love the conversation. You're always fun to watch on Facebook. Uh, well, totally thank you for being on. And, and, and in the show notes, we'll definitely will have um, how you can reach out and work with 360 Project if that is something that is pulling at the listener but definitely give them some love on social media. And because, you know, you know, it's, it's powerful how much if we, you know, just make a comment here on there on social media, how much it helps put forward the good things we want to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. Exactly. That's what I was saying. I guess I was just saying it too weird. You you did it right. So um, any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners today, Daryl? You know, what would, if, if anyone wanted to ever venture out and go on a trip with us, we call it creating moments of purpose, but, but more than just us, it's just serving your community, be a part of moments of purpose in your life daily, where all of a sudden you're just walking in your purpose. Cause most people just walk in their profession and, and, and that's great. And it's wonderful. But when you can walk in your purpose, you know, I'm fortunate that my purpose is my profession in a sense, and it's always been that way. But some people just get, go serve, go to a food bank, go go to the Navajo Nation, whatever it may be, and right. don't be afraid to try it, you know, because dad always said this, he said, son, if you can handle no, you can handle anything. And it's the truth. And it's it's like, just go after it. Serve in your church, be a great parishioner to your pastor. I mean, I pastored for years and go Find something good. You can always find negative in any group, in any situation, okay. in yep. religious structure you might be in. But find the good and go after it. The world needs good. The world needs graciousness. But more than anything, the world needs to come face to face and have a Christ nature and walk it out. And but I, I appreciate what you're what you're doing, what you're sharing, and and thanks for having us on. And, and check out my360project.org. Yeah, right? I would love for you guys to check it out. And eventually we will be doing something together. Yes, we um, will. I have no doubt. Again, because you've already, uh, we've already done, we've already done goodness. Yeah. But it's it's fun to see, for me, I love gathering friends from people willing to do good. Yeah. Because guess what I see everywhere I go? Good. Yeah. Good, exactly. Well, it's it's a great thing. And thank you. I love moments of hotness. I like being hot again. You know, it's well, it's, we all have our unique spark of hotness. Right? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless you, Lita. And well, God for bless all. you too, my friend Daryl. Thank you so much for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. <laughs>